Okay, we're in the book of Hebrews, and let's pick up those last two verses in chapter 12, the way we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to take those last two verses that talk about worship. Hebrews chapter 12 ends with the topic of worship, and then it transitions into the topic of how we love one another. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Here's what God's Word says. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, how do we worship God? Chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. So we love one another. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then verse 3, our verse for today. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, now the obvious question would be, why on the Sunday that you focus on college ministry and career and young adults is the verse saying, remember those who are in prison? All right, so uh, obvious question. Not the connection you might be thinking of, so be patient with me here. We're going to come back around at the end, and hopefully you'll see the connection between what we're talking about with our young adults and this idea of remember those who are in prison. But let's start, because before we get into the application of this verse, we need to make sure we know what it means. Like, what does this verse right here mean? What, what do we see God giving us through this preacher in Scripture? Well, the command is very simple. The command this morning is to remember. And remember, as I say remember, that this verse comes out of a context about worship. So how do we worship God? We worship God by loving one another. And here we're told to remember those who are in prison. Who is being talked about here? Almost certainly what this verse is about is we need to remember brothers and sisters in Christ who have been placed in prison or being mistreated because of their faith. So if we just take this verse exactly as it's being given to us, it's a command to the church to not forget those who have been put in prison or those who are being mistreated because of their faith. Now, why would the church need to be told to remember those people? Because in the ancient world, to be sent to prison, to go to prison, especially because of your faith, it brought a lot of danger and it brought an incredible amount of shame an embarrassment to a person's life. And so the tendency for the church was, I don't want to be associated with those people. Because if my friend is sent off to prison because of their faith, and I'm associated with them, that could come back on me. That's dangerous for me. That's going to be shameful or embarrassing to me. It's like the friend in your life, the friend in your life who says, hey, I've got your back on that issue from way back here. <laughs> like You're on your own out there. You know, I got your back, but I'm going to be way back there when, when the time comes. This verse is saying, no, you've got to remember those who are in prison. Continue to love them. Continue to be connected to their life. Why do we need to be told to remember? Well, because most of us live with an out of sight, out of mind approach to life. When you don't see someone, when you're not around them, out of sight usually leads to out of mind. Most of us day-to-day -day are just trying to hold our own lives together. <laughs> We've got all this pressure coming on. Somebody is sent away to prison. Somebody's being mistreated because of their faith. It's not that we stop caring about them. We just forget. 
We're like, oh yeah, I forgot that person hasn't been around in a while. Oh yeah, I forgot. Out of sight, out of mind is the tendency we have to have, every tendency we have, and the command here is, no, you've got to remember those who are in prison. Don't forget them. Love them. Continue to be devoted to them as your brothers and sisters in faith. And what we know about the church that's receiving this letter, receiving this sermon, is they had been good at doing this in the past. If you back up in your Bible to chapter 10 or scroll up in your phone, it's going to be up there on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, earlier in the sermon, the author had said this. He said, you had compassion. Speaking about the time earlier in your lives as Christians, you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Followers of Jesus in the ancient world were known by how well they cared for people who were in prison and how well they cared for people who were mistreated. This was a known characteristic of Christians in the ancient world. You think about the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, and you go through these letters that Paul writes, and he's constantly bragging on people who came and cared for him in prison. Probably the very last letter that Paul wrote, most likely the last letter he wrote, 2 Timothy, he's sitting in prison, and he asked people to bring his coat, and he asked them to bring his books. He's cold, he's tired, and he wants his books, and he wants his parchments that he's writing on. He wants his research to be brought to him. In about the year 107 AD, so after the time of the New Testament, there's a man named Ignatius who is being taken to Rome to ultimately be killed for his faith. And along the way to Rome, he writes a series of letters to the churches. And one of the things he talks about is how many Christians came out to him as he was being led to Rome and they cared for him on his journey. You jump ahead, 170 AD. There's an ancient writer by the name of Lucian, L-U-C-I-A-N, Lucian. Lucian, if he lived in contemporary life, would have written for The Simpsons or 30 Rock or, uh, or The Office. He was a satirical writer in the ancient world, not a Christian. Absolutely opposed to Christianity in the ancient world. And so he wrote these satirical pieces trying to make fun of people of faith. But in one of the things that Lucian wrote, he wrote about this Christian who was put into prison and he's making fun of how many Christians visit their friend in prison. They go there, and they take him books, and they take him food, and they spend time with him, and the widows are going to him, and the young children are going to him, and Lucian can't make sense of this. Why would this group of people go and visit their friend who has been thrown away in this dangerous, shameful prison? And yet, the people of God are known as those who reach out to the forgotten, who reach out to the hurting, who reach out to those who are pushed to the side of society. That's who we're supposed to be as the people of God. And the question is, why? Why would Christians do those things? Because when they do those things, they're reflecting the heart of God. This morning, if you like to take notes, we're going to go one through five. I want to give you five truths about God's character and the message of the gospel that drives this impulse that we need to remember those who are in prison. We need to remember those who are mistreated. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to lay this theological foundation for why we're told to do what we're told to do in Hebrews 13.3. So we get, we're going to lay that theological foundation, and then we're going to talk about how can we apply this. 
what does it look like for us as the church to live out this reality? Number one this morning is we serve a God who sees the unseen. Theological truth number one is we think about God's character in the gospel. Why are we told to remember those who are in prison? Because we serve a God who sees the unseen. Genesis chapter 16 verse 13, Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. If you don't know this story from Genesis chapter 16, it's perfectly fine. It gets buried in there with all those stories at the beginning of the Bible. But what happens here is Hagar is an Egyptian slave, and she's the servant of Sarah. So you think about the Bible story of Abraham and Sarah, Sarai there at the beginning of the story. She has this servant, this Egyptian servant, Hagar. And Abraham and Sarah have a promise of a child, but they have not gotten pregnant yet. And so there's this turmoil in their relationship. There's this lack of trust in God. And Sarah tells Abraham, just take my servant, and maybe then we'll have a child. Maybe then I can have her child. And so Abraham goes with Hagar, and she conceives and gives birth to a child, and then the home really just erupts. It's, it's chaos at this point. And Sarah sends Hagar out into the wilderness, says, get out of my house, get out of here, and she is sent. She's banished out into the wilderness, and she goes out there in the wilderness, and who shows up but an angel of the Lord? She is banished, sent to the wilderness, and God comes to find her a place that no one else would care, a place that no one else would see her, a place that no one else would know what's going on, God comes to her in that moment. Don't miss this morning that we serve a God who sees the unseen. We, see a, we serve a God who sees those who are hurting. Psalm 139 in your Bible is that famous passage about how God knows us before we're even born, and the language there is that he sees our unborn body. He sees us before our days ever came to be. This language in Psalm 139 is the same language that you see in Genesis chapter 16. And so what we need to understand as Christians is we serve a God who sees the unseen. He sees the mistreated woman that no one else sees. He sees the unborn baby that others might not care about. He sees the person who's hurting and alone and feels like nobody cares. There is a God who sees you, and he loves you, and he comes to you, and he brings his grace and his mercy and his hope into your life. God sees the unseen. Number two, here's the second truth. We serve a God who suffers with those who are hurting. He doesn't just see us and stay far away. He is a God who comes near us in our pain. We talk about the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, you can insert Jesus' name in there. We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. When the people are told to remember those in prison, they're told to remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. And remember those who are hurting because you can feel that pain in your own body. Jesus did not stay far away from us. He came and took on flesh and blood. He came into our broken world. 
He not only sees those who are hurting, but he suffers with them. And there is no other God like that. There is no one who sees the hurting and comes into that pain, participates in that pain, and then ultimately is able to provide healing and hope beyond that pain. And sometimes people are turned off to religion. Sometimes people are turned off to the idea of God because they see God as a spiritual being far away from them, and they miss that the God who sees them has also come into their life, and he knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to hurt, and yet he was without sin so that he is able to rescue you out of that situation. Number three, so God sees the unseen, God suffers with the hurting, but remember, we're talking about remembering those who are in prison. We serve a God who is sovereign over government. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And then Romans 13 tells us the reason we have this government is to promote good and to punish evil. So when we think about the idea of prisons, and we think about the idea of people being mistreated by government officials, we can't forget that government was given as a good gift from God in order to promote, to celebrate and praise that which is good, and to punish, to to work against that which is evil and causing trouble in the world. And yet, and yet, human governments are just that. They're human. Human governments are run by people who are imperfect. Human governments are run by people who sometimes get into a position that should be good power used for people, and that power gets used in bad ways, in evil ways. And so we have a God who is sovereign over governments and yet establishes governments. And here is the tension that we live in. Do not miss this this morning. Here's the tension we live in. Because of this reality, we as the church— are able to honor and appreciate and value our law enforcement. We have a church family that is made up of so many people who are in first responder roles and law enforcement roles. We have a God who is a lawgiver, who has provided consequences, who has established a world of order and not chaos. This is a good gift from God, and so as a church, we celebrate that. We value that. We are thankful for that. This Tuesday— Our church has a chance to host the police academy graduation for the Oklahoma City Police Department. We are thankful to be able to do that. We honor and respect those who are in that position. That is a good, good gift. At the same time, churches need to be involved in prison ministry and prison reform and doing things to help those who are hurting because we believe in a God of mercy. We believe in a God of forgiveness. We believe in a God of transformation who transforms lives. And so, as a church, if we're not careful in contemporary life, we can get forced into a situation where we're made to push to an extreme and you have to pick between one of those. And we believe, based on God's word, law enforcement is a good gift. We value those people who are serving, who are protecting, who are doing those things in the world to promote good and push back against evil. And at the same time, we're not going to forget those who are in prison. We're going to go and minister to people who are hurting. And that leads into our fourth point. We believe in a God who works in and through prisons. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, Paul says, has really served to advance the gospel. This is so amazing. When you read through the Bible, 
and you see how often God's people end up in prison. I mean, just think about Joseph in the Old Testament ending up in this prison. Every time this happens to the people of God, what's God doing with that circumstance? He just keeps advancing the plan. He just keeps advancing the gospel. God is not held back. He is not stopped by human prison walls. He is not stopped by the challenges that we face in the world. God's plan, God's salvation is not determined by our circumstances. God just keeps working through those situations. Paul and Silas in the New Testament, they're thrown into prison, and what do they do? They sing, great is thy faithfulness in prison. Maybe not. I don't know if it was great as thy faithfulness. They sing hymns. They're singing psalms. They're, they're singing together in prison. God opens up the prison doors, and that Philippian jailer is converted to faith in Christ. God is always working in those ways. Let me share with you a contemporary example of this. Maybe one of the best-kept secrets in our state right now is the prison divinity program that Oklahoma Baptist University is running at the Lexington Penitentiary. If you don't know about this program, it was established a couple of years ago, and the prison divinity program takes groups of inmates at the Lexington Penitentiary through what amounts to a four-year undergraduate degree program. And so they are going through these classes, they're, taking, they're doing legitimate college schoolwork, they're going through these classes, and they're going to come out of it with a degree from Oklahoma Baptist University. And the goal is, as these students are trained in ministry and they come out of this program, as the state allows, they're going to be sent to different places around the state to go out as missionaries and ministers of the gospel in these different places around the state, different penitentiaries, different places in, in our prison system. The work that's happening there in Lexington is, is incredible. When I send out my weekly email to you, uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. I'm going to include in there a few things from Bruce Perkins, who directs that program at Lexington. Uh, when I talked to, to Bruce this last week, I said, what do you want me to share with Emmaus when we talk about remembering those in prison? He said, I want you to tell them that over the last year, 300 men have been saved on the maximum security yard at Lexington Penitentiary. Last Monday, 16 men gave their life to Jesus in that maximum security unit there at Lexington. The only thing that's limiting that is most of the people in the OBU uh, divinity program there at Lexington, they're in the medium security section, and for those guys to go into maximum security and share the gospel, they have to have a volunteer go with them, which means if you're in a situation that you would want to give a few men here at Emmaus, if you would want to give a couple of months, uh, a couple of hours per month, you can be trained, go down to Lexington, and go with these guys in the medium security yard who are going through ministry training, and all you have to do is you just have to walk with them. You have to go with them into the maximum security so they can share the gospel in that area. And men are coming to faith just week after week after week in this situation. And as this program develops, they're going to continue to go around the state and share the gospel. There is incredible work that is happening behind prison doors. God's work God's plans, God's salvations are, God's salvation is not stopped by the circumstances that we have around us, which leads to number five. Number five, God sets free the prisoners. God sets free the prisoners. Isaiah chapter 61, verse one. The Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This passage from Isaiah 61.1 1 
is quoted by Jesus when he begins his ministry and he says, this is what I have come to do. Now when you hear God sets free the captives, if we hear that the wrong way, that can kind of raise some emotions in us and some injustice. And you're like, wait a second. Some people who are behind bars are behind bars because our law enforcement officials have done the work that they need to do. And those men who are in that OBU prison divinity program at Lexington would say, yes, absolutely. Many of them getting that OBU degree at Lexington will never get out of our human prison system. But can I tell you, they are so free. They are so free when you are around those men because they have been set free from their broken past. They have been set free from their sins. They have been set free from the fear of death. And here's the reality. Every single person on the planet knows what it is to be enslaved by sin, to be imprisoned by the fear of death, to be under the law, not able to make ourselves right with God on our own, and every one of us needs to be set free. That's true for every person, whether you are in prison or not, every one of us needs to be set free. When Jesus came and he gave the Sermon on the Mount, that big, that big message he gives in the Gospel of Matthew, how does he begin that? He begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek and powerless. Blessed are those who are persecuted. The work of God in your life is not determined by your circumstances. It's determined by the power of the gospel. And you can be in such hard circumstances, and yet God is able to set you free. To set you free from addictions and your past. To set you free in the midst of anxiety and depression. To set you free from the fear of death that overwhelms you. God is able to bring freedom because Jesus came as the rescuer. Kids, elementary kids who are in the room. Sometimes you go to church and you hear that Jesus is the Messiah. And that word Messiah can be a really confusing church word. If you ever hear the word Messiah, the word Messiah in the New Testament means rescuer. That Jesus is the one who has been anointed. He's had God's spirit at work in him. And because God's spirit is at work in him, he is able to rescue us. He's able to rescue us from our sins, rescue us from the power of death, and set us free no matter where we are to live fully for him. And when he does that, when we experience that work in our lives, it changes how we live. We're made part of the church so we can go out and live the way that God has created us to live. So that leads us to our application points this morning. Because God sees the unseen, because God suffers with those who are hurting, because God is sovereign over government, because God works in and through prisons, because God sets us free, because of those things, we as the church are able to love those who are unseen and hurting. That's our call. Because of who God is and what he's done in our lives, the more we know about who God is and how he works in our lives, the more we're able to turn around and do that work in the world that he's called us to do. And so as the church, we're going to love those who are unseen and hurting. Now the question is, who are those people? <laughs> who, who are those people who are unseen and hurting? Well, let's put at the top of the list the persecuted church around the world. That, when you talk about this verse, Hebrews 13, 3, that is at the core idea. That is at the leading edge of this, that we remember those brothers and sisters around the world who have been imprisoned and mistreated and pushed to the side because of their faith in Jesus. Second layer, 
We just think about all those in the world who are in prison for all kinds of reasons, who are marginalized, who are mistreated because of their situation in life, who are unseen and hurting. We're called to minister to them. But then, let's bring it closer to home. Who are the unseen people in our world? And this is where I think we can get to our college students and our young adults. When you go through that transition from high school into young adult age, it's easy to start to feel overlooked. You lose your core people in the youth group. You lose your core connections. A lot of the studies that have been done about why someone walks away from church or walks away from the faith after youth group one of the main reasons is they didn't have adults other than their parents who were checking on them spiritually. A lot of the th- reasons that people will walk away from faith, walk away from church, is because there weren't other adults, not their parents, who were checking in on them spiritually. It's so easy in those college and young adult ages to be overlooked. I was thinking about Jesus' life that's given to us in Scripture. You know with Jesus' life, it skips from the time that he's 12 to the time that he's 30. So we don't know anything about Jesus from the time that he was 13 through the time that he was 29. Even his life in Scripture feels like it's overlooked. Why do we not know anything about Jesus during those years? Most likely when Jesus' mom was kind of talking to him and getting the information to share with the people in the Gospels, she asked Jesus, hey, what happened during those years? Nothing. What'd you do? I don't know. How was it? Fine. It was good. I don't know that that's the reason why those years are overlooked, but uh, that's what I can imagine happening. So uh, what happened between the time that you were 13 and 29? I don't know. It was, it was all right. It was good. Um, so we, she's like, Mary's just like, skip to 30. It gets better at 30. Like John the Baptist shows up and it all takes off then. Just, just skip to 30. Whatever the reason is, college students and young adults can feel so overlooked, and we've got to be willing to care. Let, let's, let's take it another angle. People that feel overlooked are homebound friends and especially those who provide care for homebound friends, aging parents, people who are not able to come out. I talk to people in our church family who would give anything to be here this morning. They would give anything to be here this morning, but because of circumstances in their life, they're not able to. And the longer you're homebound, the longer you're not able to be with your church family, the longer you're caring for a loved one or caring for an aging parent, the more you start to feel unseen, the more you start to feel isolated in those times. And as the church, we've got to be ready there. We have to remember those who are unseen. We have to remember those who are hurting, those who are homebound and and caregivers. Who else falls into the unseen camp? Surprisingly, I think shift workers can feel this way. When you're not working the same schedule as other people, you just feel like, man, I'm just never around my people. I'm not connected. Uh, Those who are deployed, obviously with the military or or job purposes, can can feel this way. Uh, Missionaries, our missionary friends who are on the field can so quickly feel unseen and forgotten. Does anybody pray for me? Is anybody thinking about me? As the church, we've got to be able to do this. How do we do this? How do we put this into action? Well, number one, we just have to remember people. (laughs) and here I would tell you this takes teamwork you need layered care because the pastor is super forgetful (laughs) all right Uh, and I miss people and and just there is nothing that makes you sick to your stomach as a pastor like realizing that somebody fell through the cracks and they weren't cared for and nobody checked on them and they had a need and we weren't there to meet it it just makes you feel sick in those situations 
But one person can't do that alone. You're not asking me to do that, and I'm raising my hand to say I can't do that. It takes layered care. You need deacons who are doing that work. You need Sunday school classes who are doing that work. You need neighbors who are doing that work. You need family who are checking on people. And as we do this as a church, it really lessens the chance that people are going to fall through the cracks and not be remembered. We have to pay attention to our friends that feel unseen and are hurting. And then the second step is we empathize with them. We meet them in that moment, which usually just means listening to them, crying with them, praying with them, being able to feel that. Uh, man, here's another category. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking through this. Young moms, new moms could feel so unseen in those early days, just 24-7 engrossed in that responsibility of raising that little one. New moms can feel unseen. I can try to encourage and, and provide hope for that new mom. Let's be honest, I'm probably not the one that needs to be doing that. Um, but ladies who have been down that road, when you know what it feels like to be in that moment, man, when you see that young mom, you can speak hope into her life in a way that others can, can never do that. When you can empathize and know what it's like to be there. Meeting needs, when people feel unseen, when they're isolated, being able to step in and meet needs. When you read church history, those needs are usually food, books and protection. <laughs> I'm like, hey, that sounds like 2024. Bring me food, bring me books, and make sure somebody's watching out for me, like that, that I've, I have the resources that I need. It, it varies based on what meeting that need is, but you're just listening. What does that person need? How can I care for them? And then to encourage them. When you feel unseen, isolated, marginalized, and you're hurting, do you know one of the main attacks of the enemy is to make you feel discouraged and bitter? You start to feel discouraged, spiritually discouraged, and then if it gets really unhealthy, you start to feel bitter about the people who haven't checked on you like they should have checked on you, and then that bitterness can turn toward the Lord, and it can turn into blame, and then, man, the thoughts and the emotions can start to get really dark in those situations. And the enemy uses us. He works in our lives in those times we feel isolated. And as the people of God, we step in and we just encourage that person with the gospel. God sees. God cares. God's at work in your circumstances. And what you are dealing with right now is not the end of the story. You have eternal hope because of Jesus. And you can comfort that person. And sometimes even challenge that person. Hey, God's not finished with you. God's at work in your life. We, we've got to keep going. And you've got to be ready at this time because when you step out to help someone who feels unseen, who's hurting, sometimes they're not in a position to receive that care right then because they're hurting. They're dealing with some bitterness. They're, they're dealing with some uncertainty. And so sometimes as you reach out to care for them, especially if you're talking about an aging parent or someone who's just really hurting or struggling with their memory, it's going to be hard for them to receive that care. And the patience of the Lord just continues to send you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to check on you. I'm going to care for you. And we're going to look toward Jesus together. How do we respond this morning? A couple of things to think about. Number one, the most important question is have you experienced the freedom of and the love and the hope that comes through Jesus. Every person faces the reality of sin, sin that leads to death, death that separates us from God forever. Every one of us 
has experienced what it is to be imprisoned, to be enslaved, and only Jesus can set us free. And if you've never experienced that freedom in your life, today is the day just to call out and say, Lord, I need that freedom. I need your salvation. I need your forgiveness. Make me new. You may be here this morning, and you say, I would like to sign up for the unseen camp because I feel unseen. You feel like nobody cares about you. Nobody knows what's going on in your life. You're starting to feel discouraged and bitter. I want you to know that God sees. I know, I know even me saying that, you can get angry at that. Like, yeah, that's just the spiritual answer. God sees. And God cares. And God is at work in your life. And God will send his people to you. Which means that we have to be ready for number three. Who in your life is unseen or hurting? Who around you feels forgotten? Who around you is being mistreated or marginalized or pushed to the side? We as the people of God take the good news of Jesus to those who are unseen, who are lost, who are hurting. And we do that. Why? Because that's exactly what God has done for us. Would you bow your heads with me? I want us to take a moment for prayer and then we're going to wrap up with our member presentation in just a moment. Just a moment, though, for you, to, uh, for you to be silent before the Lord, before we head out of here. Number one, most important question. What is your relationship with the Lord this morning? Have you experienced freedom from sin, freedom from the fear of death because of Jesus? If you've never experienced that in this very moment, you can just call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. I repent of my sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. God set me free. He will do that work in your life. And it will change your life for all of eternity. That is the most important thing. If you're here this morning, you feel discouraged because you feel unseen, you feel pushed to the side, people don't care about you anymore. Don't let the spiritual enemy use that in your life. Fight back against that discouragement and bitterness. Know that God's at work in your life, that people do care for you, they do love, do love you. With a verse like this this morning, as you're praying, it's probably just a really simple question of who do you need to call this afternoon? Who do you need to text this afternoon? Who do you need to go visit tomorrow or Tuesday? Who in your life do you know feels unseen and isolated and they're hurting and God has put in your heart, I need to reach out to that person. I need to care for them. Father, as we wrap up this morning and we get ready to present new members, people who are, they want to be a part of your church, they want to be a part of serving and caring for those who are hurting God, I, I pray for every one of us that we would be aware of how you're working in our lives and God, as we, we wrap up this morning, I pray, I pray especially for those in our church family and our community who are involved in law enforcement and who are first responders. God, I know topics like you as the judge and topics like prison and topics that were dealt with this morning brings a lot of emotions with it. And, and God, these folks are serving in such difficult, sometimes impossible roles. And God, I pray that you would give them wisdom in their job, help them to promote what is good, to push back against that which is evil, and God, to be able to serve because they want to serve you. And so, God, I thank you for those in our church who are in that position. And God, I thank you for the work that you are doing behind prison bars here in Oklahoma. 
God, those men who are turning to faith in Jesus and that that ministry, that that work would continue to spread not only here in our state but ultimately around our nation and around the world. So God, we pray, we pray that your gospel would continue to be at work saving lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.